Welcome to the Better People Podcast. I'm one of the hosts, Holly DePama, and I'm joined today by Holly Marone, who is the Executive Director, Chief People Officer, and Office of Faculty Affairs for Penn School of Nursing. Did I get all that correct? Yeah, Office of Faculty Affairs, HR, and OD. So a little a little longer, but yes, in, in essence. <laughs> you uh, get the award as the longest title of anybody I've interviewed. <laughs> It's my goal to change it to people operations, but you have cultural norms of what people need to hear in in department titles. So it's 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 evolving, you know, evolving the profession. I love it. Tell us, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, and uh, and what brings you here today. Yeah, so I am an HR leader who is actually um, trained on the organizational development side. Um, so my my background and, and early part of my career was spent um, in business and, and running business operations within the university um, and a variety of different types of business operations from um, you know, online technology services and hospitality services and dining and like this really interesting kind of unique way of coming up. And um, very early on in my career, I was given opportunities to manage large groups of people. And that meant from, you know, recruitment through separation. And so I had really great experience Um you know, utilizing my my undergrad is in business and, and business administration, but a specialization in marketing. And so I got to have all of this um, awesome business opportunity to really understand how organizations function, how they make money, how they work with customers, how they work with stakeholders, et cetera. And then I ended up going to graduate school at Penn um, and did a master's in organizational um, dynamics. While I was in that program, I fell in love with organizational consulting and executive coaching. And so I actually started grad school all over again. I was almost finished, started all over again. I have an incredibly supportive husband. So that's like a really important part um, of my story. And um, I focused on that program, which was a cohort 24 month we had three internships. I was working full time, a mom, doing all of this extra stuff. It was it was pretty crazy. Um, but ultimately, when I finished, I made the transition into um, doing organizational development and coaching and leadership development and training um, within the university. And so I did that for several years when this great opportunity at nursing opened up for me to also take um, the HR knowledge I had from undergrad as a business leader from my SHRM certification and kind of bring it into this next level of being an HR leader who also got to do OD um, work, which was really important to me because I think what's profound to me about HR is the role HR leaders play in the organizational transformation, um, but how we can sometimes get stuck because of the HR rep um, that we get knocked with in, in some instances. And so I've been really lucky to have these roles that allow me to fuse um, HR and organizational development work together. And so um, a few years ago, we decided to expand my role within the school to oversee both um, 
HR and faculty affairs. So in in higher education structures, it's not um, usual for there to be, you know, HR for faculty. They usually have this faculty affairs. They have HR processes, but it's a little interesting in terms of how university systems work. Um, and so this was kind of a new model, a new way of thinking. And, and I got to, you know, build that from the ground up and, and been working on, you know, um, for these past couple of years, lifting it up and 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 um, seeing it thrive, which is exciting. Yeah. So tell me about that. It's um, you know, I uh, as we say, I cut my teeth in um, in higher ed. Yes. So I started <clears throat> on the other side of town. Um, I was at Temple. Okay. Um, it was my first job out of school, and the complexity of a of a large university system is is it it's very unique in that i mean you have your own i remember when i i mean this is a very long time ago but when i was at temple um we had the uh fifth largest police force in the state and penn had the fourth largest so mm-hmm. it was philadelphia pittsburgh Harrisburg, Penn Temple. So you th- these are microcosms of like cities and and they you have you the whole uh sort of epicenter is responsible for so much more than just um you know one thing. And so I, I'm curious and and I understand faculty is completely separate. Yeah. Right. It's like their yeah. own world. Yeah. And, you know, you have um, and then people and you have Penn is like 30,000 employees, something like that. Yeah. Um, And it is very complex. And to see not only your trajectory there, but also what you've been able to do is 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 really, really um, fascinating. And how how did you, you know how did you do it? Like talk about, you know, because such large organizations tend to pigeonhole people into certain places. Yeah. I'm a bit of a unicorn. I mean, I've moved around the university in ways that people have it. And I've been able to transform my career in in a lot of different ways. Right. I say that to people all the time. I mean, you know, part of it is doing good work and, and many times great work. Right. Um, and so very early on, um, I had opportunities to build relationships with people and and have the opportunity to earn their trust and their respect. And, you know, I was able to do that. And so um, I didn't I didn't understand what Penn was when I was coming there so many years ago. I didn't really get the complexity of it. I mean, it is a mini city of jobs and jobs of all kinds of nature. I mean, you have all types of employment within one organization and it's so unique in that because you have to know a lot of different things. And so, um, you know, building those relationships and earning people's, you know, trust and respect and then producing, right? You got to back it up. And so I remember sitting 
getting ready to finish grad school. And I would sit with one of my faculty who has become my mentor. And I would cry and say, like, how am I going to make this shift? Right. I just spent all this great time in grad school learning this stuff. I did two programs. I really, you know, you you know, I can do this, but how do I convince others? And so I, I used my network to at least call the hiring manager for that first transition, right? And I said, you know, listen, if you have faith in me, would you just reach out? And the person, the first thing they said to me, if if nothing, you're an amazing networker because I've heard from more people about you than I've ever heard from a candidate. Um, and so, you know, you know, those people get you to the door. You ultimately have to get yourself through the door. You have to be able to back up what you are putting out there. Um, and so when I did, you know, get into that role, some of my first clients were my colleagues who I used to work with on the other side who said, wow, we always loved working with you on this side and we trust you on this side too. And they stayed consulting clients through that time and, and brought work and came to leadership development programs and sent their leaders to, to programs. And so um, I think you know, how you work with people is core. And, and I'm a humanist. I believe so deeply in the beauty of, of people and that people want to ultimately do well and want to thrive. And if you can find out what their goals are and how you help advance those and partner with them um, while also advancing yours, it's it's the magic, you know, elixir to everybody being successful. So that's that's really how I kind of navigated is just building networks. Yeah. Um, and and really and earning and earning it, right? Because you have to back up what you put out there. So true. Absolutely. Um so talk to me about what you're most proud of accomplishing in um in you know your many years um in the organization or whichever job. Like what are you most what are you most proud of accomplishing? I think that's such an interesting question that I have to almost hit pause myself and think about, right? Because in each role, sometimes you're moving through your career so fast. You don't always notice. You don't stop to say like, wow, what? Um, And the past few years have been definitely some of the most trying as as an organizational leader because navigating through covid and trying to respond to all the complexities that came up um i think the the amount of resiliency that i had and how I played a role to support others was really, really important. But I think what we built together, you know, it higher ed is so slow to change. And and yet they also have all these other little things in there where they're ahead of, of industry, where we've been talking about certain concepts and doing training on those concepts for so long, thinking about, you know, LGBTQ or, or DE&I or those types of things have been more of our fabric and, and how we work with students. Um, and so if I think about, you know, what COVID did, we had to very quickly lift and shift things that traditionally were very hard and we wouldn't have considered. And so, um, I'm very forward thinking and and paying attention. And I think my greatest accomplishment is bringing that forward thinking and my energy to back it up. Because when you're trying to change things, 
it's hard and, and, you know, we're so, our brains are, are like tradition. They like patterns. They like what we know. And um, if I had to really sum, summarize it into a key thing, I think it's um, that ability to see the future and not be scared to take people there. And how I've been able to do that in a variety of roles throughout the university, whether it was in my business role, whether it was in my central role in HR or in my current role, um, that's the the thing that is always um, important to me. And I think I've been able to bring that to each of those is, is helping groups move forward in a way they may or may not have anticipated. Um, so. Yeah. So I'm assuming um, during COVID, you all were um, home. Yes, we were. But, um, you know, in a school of nursing and nursing education is an in-person education. Yeah. So we held a a meeting on a Friday and basically told managers to help, you know, tell people to pack up their office for two weeks. We'll see in a few weeks. There are going to be a group of us who, or I I don't know if we said exactly two weeks, but we, we, you know, pack up your office for a period of time. And um, there are going to be, we're going to run a skeleton crew who will work on site for the next week to get a bunch of work done because we had to um, record a bunch of lectures and very quickly. And so um, I didn't want employees in the building and saying, hey, you all have to work and I'm not backing up what it was. And so I came in and a couple key people were in the buildings just trying to get things together, provide support, you know, making sure just those people who are working ungodly hours trying to put things out have lunch or, you know, have a moment to just like process. Um, so but after that, yeah, we all went remote. And then we did have a group of employees who worked on site um, once we got to the fall, because again, nursing education is an in-person education. Um, A lot of the delivery happened virtually, um, whether it was live, but we had to find really creative ways to make sure that our students could still get what they needed to progress forward in their programs. So it was a bit of a complexity. Um, but we were home for a good period of time. Um, and then there were lots of back and forth because, you know, students are on site. So the employees have to be on site. And this was a lot of universities struggled with this and are still struggling with this. Like, what do you do? Is everybody back? The problem is the employees will mutiny probably because many of them have proved they can be successful and they don't need to come campus because they don't have student facing roles. Um, so so that was some of the things we had to kind of grapple with and, and figure out and um, really move towards a hybrid type model, um, which we were able to do. So. So in talking about um, sort of this new world of work. And um, it it sounds like you have some people who are home, some people you're kind of a hybrid model. How is that? How do you, how is that working? So for me, you know, the forward thinking nature of this was right before COVID happened, I had already kind of spoke to my boss about this concept of reimagining the workplace. And I had said to her, you know, we were out of building space and we didn't want to take on another building because that's expensive. Real estate's expensive, maintaining it, you know, all of that. And I said to her, what if everybody's not in the building all the time? There are plenty of, I have colleagues, I have a friend from 
um, college who has not, hasn't worked in an office since she was set two years out because her job's always been remote. So there are remote jobs out there. That's not a new concept. It's just not a widely accepted in most companies prior to COVID. So I had proposed that and, and they were definitely interested. We were starting to look into it and then who knew we would flash forward, be stuck, like thrust into it. Right. Um, so coming out of that, we had to really evaluate how you decide. And I ended up creating an assessment tool that managers could use within the school to determine how much time somebody needs to come to campus based on different factors, whether it's access to your quote unquote customer, um, access to materials or resources that are on site, um, a variety of factors. We kind of came up cultural, you know, the team aspect, because while this is a lot of brand new, if we really look at the study of sociology and cultures, you know, tribes lived apart and then they would come together in these great big, you know, tribal uh, communities and, and meet. And so we've always known that people need to be together physically present. And we've studied that since um, indigenous tribes and all of these. So if you think about that nature, we know people have to come together at some point. It's a, it's really important. So we we developed that assessment tool and it made it working with managers to say, what is it that you need to get this work done? Because we're holding you accountable for producing these results. What do you need? What do you need from your staff? And not trying to design or, or drive the answer from the top and really actually giving, empowering managers to tell us what they need it. For us to look at that rationale and if it made sense, then to support it. And so there are some functions that took that questionnaire and said, I don't need people on site. And we said, you're right. And those jobs can be full remote. Other times where there was a mix of what it was. Um, and then there are some jobs where you do have to be on site. And sometimes people talk about, well, equity, well, that's not fair. And it's like, yes, but we have a rationale for why. You know, we're not saying, well, you, um, Holly, get to have to work on site, but, you know, Carolyn doesn't have to work on site. It's not about people. It's about the work and what it takes to get the work done. And so that is where we create a process that is effectively evaluating the results that have to be produced. Um, and so that's the model we used and how we kind of evolved into this hybrid remote workplace, you know, the future of work of whatever it is and where are we on the pen, the pendulum, because some people say we're swinging one way, we'll swing back the other way. And I don't know if we'll always get people all fully back in the office because it is that wonderful productivity being at home. You can, you know, the office can be a distraction having people talk to you all day long. Um, so, but finding a good mix of it, I think is what's important. And we've been able to do that. And I'm proud of that. Yeah. I'd love, I love the idea of an assessment and um, of, of really evaluating, just like you said, where you need to get your, you're being held accountable for what you have to do. Now let's look at this from the perspective of, of what you need to get it done. Um, and that's a really, um, that's a really great point. I mean, we, we are certainly as leaders in organizations juggling many, many different, um, things post COVID and challenges. And, um, really we 
tend to call them, I think people call them the softer side of things. They're really more the human side of things. Um, talk to me about how you've helped your your organization, your leaders um, really uh, pivot with respect to how they need to do their jobs a little differently now. Yeah. I, so focusing on the people is there's so many organizations who have had that philosophy for a long time that, you know, you study in business school and you know um, those groups who put people first. And, and I think that this, you know, um, all the shifts that we've seen, whether the great resignation or whatever these trends and, and kind of lingo we've come up with, the thing that's key is employees have more power now than they've probably had in the study of management. They have autonomy. They have the ability to go pick up and go to another job. And if they don't like this, and and I think that's such an interesting thing that we have to like think about because organizations have always used power over for a long time. And, you know, we're your employer because we said so kind of type thing. And if you think of it, it's very hierarchical, even much like um, family structures and it models certain things like that. So we know that. Um, but in the workplace now, it's, you know, we need people to bring their best selves because we need their critical thinking. Machines can do a lot of the process stuff. The, the key about that is the critical thinking and the humanity piece of the work. And so we have to really be thoughtful about how we engage individuals, how we understand where they get to make decisions and it's power with and power to. You know, Brene Brown talks a lot about that and it's such a beautiful concept of understanding. You don't need to have power over people, but it's really how do we share power and how do we understand what that means? And so letting people understand, you know, the decisions they get to make, the, the, those things, but also the work, how that gets decided at the top and gathering all of them. And so it's bringing people to the table, which is hard because they don't get to sit at the board tables and, and make all these decisions. But how do we recognize that it's the work gets done because of the people? And we have to pay attention to the people. We have to pay attention to their well-being. You know, coming out of COVID, it's it's a lot. It's a it's a huge transformation. And how are we supporting people? And so, for me, in my role as an HR leader, I like to think of my role is to support the people so they can get the work done. Like at the core to support the leaders, to support the managers, to support the worker, wherever that is, is who's paying attention to them? Who's worried about the obstacles they're facing and how we get that out of the way so that they can ultimately be successful? Because, you know, I'm not educating students or I'm not, you know, doing research or I'm not doing those. But if I support those people who are if I can remove the obstacles, if I can recognize what gets in the way of them being successful and I can help them get around those, then I can contribute to that ultimate success of the organization. And so I see that as such a critical role as an HR leader and a people leader um, to, to be their partner, to understand their needs and to figure out how to do that. And that's hard, right? Because we also have all these other HR tasks that have to be done. But 
how do we get smart about putting the people first um, in, in how we lead um, our HR operations? Yeah, um, I, I, the way that you very succinctly laid out how you contribute to the results of what's happening in your organization is a is a powerful way to look at things and your impact that you have um, as an HR leader, as somebody who is there to support, maybe not, um, you know, do the experiments or do the teaching, but you're there to support. Can you, you know, and you talked about removing barriers. Um, can you, and I'm certainly not asking to share any any proprietary or confidential information, but give give our listeners some example of something that might need to be or or something that was considered a barrier to someone um, or to the um, helping someone do something more efficiently. So it's work processes. And I think this is where my organizational development background is like, right? For me, I'm a systems thinker. And I can take an issue and like bring it five different ways of all the like spider diagram it of like all the things that are going to happen. And so when an employee brings you a problem, we have to kind of spider that out and understand the complexity. And, and do some root cause analysis to understand what is really happening. Is it is it people conflict or is it task conflict? Is it a mix of both? Is it look like it's people conflict, but it's really about the process? And so I think understanding, you know, people conflict versus task conflict is really important when we have an employee bringing or a manager who, you know, somebody's coming to you with an issue. Um, they, they don't always know who to go to. And sometimes, you know, HR gets called for the most random things on a regular basis. I mean, I have so many calls like that where it happens, but, um, I think at this point I get that call because I will think about it and, and, and like navigate it and see it in all of these different and the impacts it's having. And so I think one of the ways of removing barriers is when people come to you with a problem. We have to ask the five whys. We have to really dig deeper to understand the root cause of that problem and the subsets and the can, you know, the connections um, and how those are impacting the individual. Because you can mediate a conflict between two people, but if the process is still a mess, you're not fixing it. They're still going to fight. You know, these two employees are going to be at conflict soon enough again. So. The way we can remove barriers is really helping them um, process that work. And you need a facilitator to help you with that, because when you're in the middle of that type of situation, it's hard to see and navigate that through yourself. Um, But I really think that we could, as HR leaders, can play an integral role because we see all parts of the business. We have all of this view, we understand roles and hierarchies and structures because we have all this big picture data about what a, a you know an organization, a team looks like. And so how do we help create the connections? How do we have this conflict here, but recognize, wait a second, I just heard 
this other person telling me about this other thing? Is there a connection between these two? Is this really a task conflict versus people conflict? What's really going on here? And and, and bringing people together to have conversations. Okay, so we saw this, we know it. How do we then get people in a room to say, this is the problem and here are how all of the spokes that are, are having these issues. And so that's a great way to break down these barriers. Um, and, and ultimately it impacts the work, right? Because if we can remove the obstacles that prevent people from getting their job done, there's always gonna be obstacles. That's part of work um, and, and nature of how things go. But if we can help reduce those barriers, we can ultimately ensure that people can do that purposeful and fulfilling work, which is so important to me because we spend a lot of time at work. And if you're going to do it, you want to enjoy it. You don't want to feel like you're always, you know, dragging a rock behind you. Yeah. Yeah. I would absolutely agree with that. Um, So you spoke about um, uh, relationships. Clearly um, one of the things that I'm taking from, from our conversation is how important it is with respect to your um, training and learning. You've you've invested a lot of time in in learning and education and certifications, etc. Building relationships and and sort of being held, holding yourself accountable to create what you say you're going to do. Right. Um, talk. What do you see as um, to somebody starting out in HR, somebody new in this field, what would you say is your advice? What is what are the most important things you would suggest to somebody getting their toes wet in HR? Yeah, you know it's it's so interesting because I really sometimes I'm like, how did you become an HR person? Like I wanted to become an event planning, like an event planner. That is, was like my dream coming out of undergrad. And then I kind of fell into HR. And I think the first thing I'm going to say is you don't know the twists and turns your career is going to take. And so, you know, I I teach at another university, not at Penn, and I tell my students all the time, like that first job, when you're first getting there, the whole point of that opportunity is just to get in a chair and learn and grow. It's to ask a lot of questions. It's to see the connections and how work happens. It's to, you know, do produce good work, um, make sure that you're you're an, a person of integrity and that you're trustworthy and that you're bringing your best self um, and that you're trying to help that organization move itself forward. And so when you're walking into an HR role, I didn't kind of walk out of college into an HR seat. I ended up here in the craziest way ever. I mean, it's, and who knows what's next? Like, I I really don't always know. Um, But I think understanding that that first opportunity could be, I know people who have that seat and they, they're like, this is it, this is for me. And they, they choose that profession forever and what have you. Um, The, the important thing is to understand you're there to help people and people come um, HR has lots of reputations and, and lots of things that we can kind of get into that I think is paradoxical. But um, ultimately, you know, people come to HR because they have a need. 
And the goal is understanding that need versus what they're saying and also what is underneath, why. And if you can learn from very early on to ask why, help me understand, and really get to the core of what is happening. I mean, sometimes they just need a form or they need this. Um, and so it's not always this deeper thing, but other times really getting to understand what's key to people and, and what's you know not just in their mind, but their heart, you build relationships that are really impactful and you can have such a tremendous impact on people's lives. And I think that's important to me because it's beyond the work. It's we have this really cool opportunity to create connections with people. And so do that and and push beyond and, and be willing um, to to support people where they are and what they need. And, and if you can learn how to do that well, you'll really lay a nice foundation for for your work as an HR practitioner. Um, so you kind of answered the question. But I'm going to push it a little bit more. What is next for you? You know, that is something I've kind of pushed back and forth and all over in my career for sure, because I, I love a lot of things. <laughs> I love, I love, um, I love the business of work and, and talking about it and ideas. And I think we're in such an exciting time as a society and business. I mean, sure, it can be scary, right? We, we hear all these concepts of AI and things and it can be a little overwhelming. We're in a bunch of societal change. Um, but I also, if we like look back in 20 years from now, we're getting to kind of change where things are and we're not even like realizing the important parts. So for me, I love building. Um, I'm an architect. I, my brain loves creating and, and being in that transformative space. And so finding opportunities either, you know, within an organization or, or supporting organizations with that's important to me um, because I really love that notion of you can create tomorrow. And we're kind of doing that in so many different ways. And so how I can utilize my skill set and, and what I bring that is unique and different to help business leaders and, and organizations think about that is really important. So I'm trying to figure out what that looks like for me um, and, and how I end up doing it. But that's definitely the space I know I'm, I'm really coming kind of coming into my own of understanding, like I'm an architect. I love to build. I love, you know, working with people to build and, and think about that next thing. And so how do we create that together um, within organizations? Awesome. Um, Holly, I've really enjoyed our conversation and, you know, your um, insight and your you know, passion for what you do is very um, evident. And um, I think, you know, we do a lot of work uh, around mindset and certainly um, mindset is key. You obviously have that in terms of um, bringing that into your, into your work. And um, I'm sure the organization is better for it. So I really appreciate the opportunity to sit and chat with you. Awesome. Thank you, Holly. It's been great. Thank you so much. Hi, I'm Holly, and I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode. The Better People podcast is brought to you by MEA. At the Mid-Atlantic Employers Association, we help organizations and their people grow 
through HR-driven business solutions. Find out more at meainfo.org or in the show notes.